0: Thank you for listening to Zero Brightness. If you'd like to support us directly, you can go to patreon.com slash zero brightness. You can also find and interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Discord. All the relevant links are at zerobrightness.com. We'll see you now. Nostalgia are inherently intertwined. That's why the topic keeps coming up so much on this show. But recently, I've started to wonder why. And I have a few theories, actually. For starters, in the postmodern age, I think that most of our favored horror styles and aesthetics are rooted in the past. From Victorian ghost stories to 60s thrillers to 70s giallo, 80s slashers, 90s teen movies, 2000s East Asian horror, etc., etc., etc. It seems that every option you have when making a piece of horror media is rooted somewhat in the past. I think there's also something a little bit deeper and more personal going on here. For a lot of people who are horror fans, they associate horror with a certain time of year and a certain season. That is fall, the season that we are entering right now and that people have taken to affectionately calling the spooky season. The thing about fall though is it's associated with, I think a lot of really important foundational childhood memories for not just me, but I think for most people. You've got going back to school. You've got Halloween, trick or treating. You've got, you know, the seasons changing, certain kinds of weather. It's all rooted in something that I think makes the fall really, really memorable. And for a lot of us who do love horror, a lot of times immersing yourself in it is inherently a nostalgic act. And I mean, on a basic level, I think that's fine. It's something we all do, it's something we all enjoy. I mean, I would be a huge hypocrite if I you know, tried to pretend that I'm not like super excited that it's fall or about to be fall. I don't really know what's going on with the weather here in Minnesota. Right now it's like perfect fall weather, but I know that any day it could be like 90 degrees or 30. I don't know, that's Minnesota for you. The point is that I get it. But I also get that nostalgia is a hell of a drug and like any drug, it can have negative consequences, some of them more serious and long term than others. One thing I've noticed recently is that there is a cultural obsession with remaking, reinventing, remastering, etc. the past. It seems that every big announcement is some sort of remake, reboot, or remaster, and it seems that the things that garner the most excitement from gamers and the media are remakes and remasters of past works. Once again, in and of itself, this isn't a bad thing. I mean, thinking back, I can remember when these sorts of announcements were very new, and fresh and exciting. They were a chance for us to revisit something from the past and a chance for something from the past to be reintroduced to a wider audience. Now within context, there is always something a little bit sinister about this because video game companies, whether that's hardware companies, publishers, or both have set up a really anti-consumer ecosystem where they've gated off a lot of their works, they've kept things from consumers, and, you know, they've sort of created a market in which they can withhold things that people want and that they should be able to access and then slowly drip feed them out at a much higher price. It creates hype. It makes them a lot of profit. It's at a base level, really, really predatory. Like, I think possibly the worst offender is Nintendo, who has this giant catalog of stuff that would be pretty easy to get running on current hardware, and instead of investing time or effort into that, they drip-feed out remakes of stuff that nobody wants at a super fucking high price point, and, well, people go nuts for it. I think something that's been really really bothering me lately is seeing people go nuts for it once again there are times when remakes and remasters are not just a good idea but like a good piece of games preservation like i've talked about before there's a couple of remakes that i'm really really fond of and i think were like super super necessary you know like i think the shadow of the colossus remake is great i think the demon souls remake is great I mean, these are things that were inaccessible to people that were really lovingly remade and optimized for current hardware and allowed a whole new generation and crop of people to experience these great works. Like to shoot game publishers a little bit of bail here and to maybe play devil's advocate for a second i understand that the video game space is a lot more complicated in this regard than any other type of media like if you go far back enough with video games and you don't have to go that far back at all you're going to run into hardware that just simply won't connect to your tv anymore i mean like Hardware that came out in the mid-2000s or early 2000s now does not want to connect to your TV. And even if it does, there are so many problems that it might make actually playing the games borderline impossible. This is something that we simply don't run into with like movies, for example. That's just not a problem in that space. So yeah. It is a lot more complicated and it does mean that if companies decide to go back and remake and remaster older works, sometimes it can be a real blessing, even if we as the consumers have to pony up sometimes for the second, third, fourth time to play this game. We still respect that, you know, there was effort put in and that this whole process was actually necessary in order to get this game working in the modern day. That said, I do think now we're reaching a point where it all feels faintly ridiculous. And to me, that point is when you take games that sold millions upon millions of copies that used to line the shelves of video game stores for like two to five dollars a piece, and you repackage them for, you know, $40 or more without any sort of upgrades or anything. Like it's basically just an quote unquote HD port that now you can play on your modern console the two examples of this that i found to be like really laughable were first of all metroid prime because like bro my copy of metroid prime came from a savers if you don't know what a savers is savers is like the thrift store where there's poop on the floor okay the bad thrift store all right and like I actually got more than one copy of Metroid Prime from the same savers. because I remember giving one to my friend like this was a game that we just we were lousy with copies of, but because, you know, GameCube hardware doesn't want to play nice with modern TVs without a bunch of mods or extra boxes or blah, blah, blah. You can just keep repackaging the game and reselling it. Not even in like a nice package, like some sort of, you know, reasonably priced collection of all the Metroid Prime games. No, just like the original Metroid Prime. Here it is on your Switch. It's handheld now. The other example that really rubbed me the wrong way was like Metal Gear Solid 2. Like Konami making a big deal about re-releasing the old Metal Gear Solid games. Once again, I mean, as a reasonably priced collection that you can play on whatever console you want, I guess like In the abstract, it's not that offensive, but I don't know. Something about it struck me as faintly ridiculous because, yeah, when I worked at a video game store, Metal Gear Solid 2 was more useful as a doorstop than, like, an actual product anyone wanted to buy. The funny thing about this feeling that I had, though, feeling that, like, okay, we've gone way too fucking far in terms of, like, the hype and excitement that can be generated by simply repackaging old games, it didn't seem to be shared by many people. Even when I went into our Discord to complain about the Nintendo Direct and ask like, who the fuck is going to pay $40 for Metroid Prime, I was met by a lot of people who were really excited and who were happy to pay $40 for Metroid Prime or Well, I think there's probably more people who are going to wait a couple years until it was maybe $30. But still, the idea is the same. People didn't see it as quite as ridiculous as I did. And I started to think, hey, you know, maybe it is just me. Maybe this isn't something that is like dumb or bad. And maybe it's just something that I don't like, which is totally fine. And I'm totally willing to accept that. And I would have and quietly moved on had I not started to notice a cultural shift happening around the same time. In the last, let's say year, but to me it really feels more like the last six or seven months, I've started to notice that there are a lot more channels on YouTube and even podcasts on various platforms and things that are discussing and dissecting horror video games. The big movement that I've seen is on YouTube. And I started to notice it because my YouTube algorithm is like absolutely full of these things. YouTube recommends like all of these to me because a lot of times when I edit these episodes I'm pulling music from various old horror games so they can see that I search like Silent Hill 2, Fatal Frame 2, like whatever, you know, regularly and so it's like here let us service out to you all of these video essays. At first I was kind of excited about this because back when I started the show in or when I first started thinking about doing the show in 2018 I was really into a few different YouTube video essays and i've said before that i actually took a lot more influence from that than i did from podcasts because i still to this day i'm not a big listener of podcasts i usually follow like two to three comedy podcasts at a time that i listen to in the background and i don't really listen to any video game podcasts or anything even remotely similar to like this show that I make, I don't know. But I took a lot more influence from YouTube and specifically YouTube video essays. But a lot of the people I followed at that time kind of either fell off or quit. And I also sort of fell off of the format within the last few years. So suddenly seeing this new wave of people talking about horror video games was kind of exciting. And I was like, damn, let me see what these folks are up to. And that's when I started to get really, really depressed because as it turns out, a lot of these video essays are really, really vapid and really, really empty. The general tone of these seems to be just people telling you what happens in a video game, people telling you what happens when you press X, which is a phrase that I've used many times on this show. But I use it to point out that To me, what makes interesting content about anything, any type of art, but especially video games, is critical content where you talk about, you know, the themes in a work, you dissect the form and structure of the work, you try to come up with like interesting or insightful things to discuss or say about the work that are, well, this is bottom line, they're interesting. I know I say that word too much, but like that's at the end of the day, what I'm trying to do. And this content seemed to be kind of the opposite of that. It was like really just telling people about the game. Like, here's the game. Here's what happens. Here's the themes. But the problem was that at the end of these videos, they would always do the same thing where they try to wrap it up like a high school essay and come to a conclusion, which, hey, no, no shame there. I do that shit, too. I'm not even really an insult. The problem was that they would try to come to a conclusion that they really had not supported at all throughout the video, like I saw one about um, Silent Hill Shattered Memories, which we did a very long and very weird episode about, you know, me and me did. And you know, in our episode, which I'm still really proud of, we were kind of talking about like, is the guy who made this game a hack? Is there any substance to this game? And we talked a little bit about the gameplay and the mechanics and stuff like that, but it was mostly just about the story, themes, writing, artistry. And I thought that was a really interesting approach to a game that if you do just break it down by its component parts, it's actually not that interesting. This video that I watched instead just did break it down by its component parts. And at the end was like, this game is so deep and cool. And I love the themes of like therapy and loss. (laughs) I was just... I was just absolutely fucking blown away by just like how dumb this video was and that I had watched slash listened to the entire thing. I mean, here's the thing. Work is boring. That's how that happens. But I was just kind of blown away. I was like, this is not good. This is in fact bad. And this is really, really empty. So after watching a few more of these videos, I started to just click on stuff that was recommended to me to like skim through it and then, you know, make a determination of, is this actually garbage or should I leave this on in the background while I'm working? Now, eventually I came to the determination that most of the stuff is garbage, or at least it's not for me. I should say that. Let's be a little more even-handed. I don't like it. It's not for me. However, I did start to wonder why is this happening? Why is there so much of this stuff? And why are people kind of going gaga for it? Like the numbers on these videos are crazy. The amount of views, the amount of comments, the subscribers these channels are picking up. It's kind of wild. And I was like, huh, I'm curious as to why this is happening. And once again, this is around the same time that I'm also starting to wonder why are remakes and remasters the only thing that people care about? Why is this like generating so much hype and so much excitement? And I think that I've landed here. I feel that in many ways, people are regurgitating, or I guess to put it in a slightly nicer way, they're mirroring the same hype cycles that video game publishers are weaponizing against us the consumer. Video game publishers have realized that people like stuff from the past. They especially like stuff from the past that feels inaccessible. They want that thing that they can't have. They like the aesthetics. They like the vibe. They like the mysterious aspect of it. They like a little bit of lore and story to go along with their video game. And so publishers have said, hey, fuck it, let's just dredge up everything that's old and at least put it on the switch, if not do some sort of, you know, remaster to some degree, it'll generate a bunch of hype, it'll generate a bunch of profit and people just kind of will look the other way in terms of our weird and predatory market that we've created that is just, you know, pretty brutally anti-consumer. It now feels like fans be they just you know participants in gaming or people who make content are now mirroring this exact same hype cycle they've realized that it works and so they're kind of making vapid empty content that simply just dredges up something from the past and kind of dangles it in front of your face and says hey look at this remember this or if you don't hey Wouldn't you like to one day remember this? I think there is an interesting function of this whole thing whereby there's a lot of very young people who obviously weren't around in the PS1 or PS2 days, who are now getting so deep into this that they're kind of making their own future nostalgia. Which once again, there's nothing wrong with, but I think that if you try to overplay it, And you try to pretend like these games are all like deep, meaningful, hidden gems, lost masterpieces. There's something fucked up about that to me, because number one, it's intellectually dishonest. Like a lot of these games are just not good. I've talked about that a lot on this show. When you go to the past and if you pigeonhole yourself as like, I'm only going to play old games, I'm only going to dive into the past, then like you're going to find a lot of these games are actually not good. A lot of games that people have a fondness for you'll find, you know, many times out of 10 that it's simply nostalgia or it's simply them remembering like a vibe or an aesthetic that they kind of liked and not actually remembering something as a good game. That's not to say that all old games are bad. Absolutely not. I mean, I've covered, tons of old games on the show that I love. I've talked at length about how I love old survival horror games, but I've also talked at length about how many of them don't hold up, especially once you get down to the like B, C and below tier stuff. Like a lot of those games are just miserable. And the only reason for someone who makes content like YouTube videos or a podcast or something to cover them is to basically humiliate themselves for their audience and just like luxuriate in the suffering of playing a fucking awful game that's something that i've done many times before on this show it's something that we were very into when we started the show and i'm not so into anymore at some point the show changed it's now changed multiple times and i'm personally more interested in talking about games where I have something to say something interesting it could be positive or it could be negative but like I'm not dying to go do another episode where I go play night cry and then like well cry on air about how fucking awful it is because like you can go watch a YouTube video of night cry and see how bad it is like you don't need me to tell you (laughs) that it's bad it's it's terrible but here's the thing I don't say that as some wise, grizzled veteran. I'm not like, oh, I have all the answers and I know. And that's why I'm telling all you young kids making YouTube videos to knock it off. I'm talking about this because I got suckered into doing the same shit, the exact same shit that I'm critiquing. And it just. I'm gonna tell you guys about it, okay? That's why I'm making this episode. I tried to make an episode, a completely different episode, and I failed. And I'm trying to salvage it. So I'm making this episode. This episode is essentially a bunch of stray thoughts that I've been collecting for a few months now that were all catalyzed by this event, which I'm now about to relate to you. But that's the thing. Before I even get to it, I'll tell you the moral of the story. The moral of the story is that nostalgia is a hell of a drug and any of us can fall prey to its charms at any moment. So let me tell you how this all started. A few years ago, I was talking to one of my coworkers at my old job. We were chatting about video games, stuff we liked, you know. Turns out that both of us were very into obscure RPGs in the 2000s. So, you know, good jumping off point. We're talking about stuff like Yggdra Union, for example, or like, you know, various like tactics, RPGs and stuff like that. Somehow we land on Shadow Hearts. And both of us kind of lose our shit when Shadow Hearts come up because it's like, oh my God, I loved Shadow Hearts, holy shit. And you know, it was just so fun to like meet someone who, had experience with the game and was as excited to talk about it as i was and yeah we we just had a nice conversation but it kind of stuck with me that i was like oh yeah shadow hearts is a horror game or at least it's horror adjacent and it's definitely something i should replay at some point and probably do an episode about so then more recently based on some comments and dms and other things. I was starting to notice that there are actually a bunch of classic PS1 and PS2 horror games that we've never covered on this show. And I know like some of them, I have a good reason for that and others I don't really. It's just one of those things where, like I've said before, I do sort of just follow whichever way the wind is blowing with this show, especially now. I try to just go where my interests lie and where my excitement lies, and I don't really try and push myself to play anything. So that's why like, if a new game comes out that I'm really curious about or excited about, I'll absolutely play it and cover it ASAP. But. If that's not the case, then it might be years or it might never happen. Or I don't I don't know. You know, I just try and go where my interest lies. So in thinking of this year's kind of spooky season encroaching, I was like, yeah, it would be cool to cover some of these classic games. And, you know, for sure, I'm still going to. But I was like, what would be a fun way to kick it off? What would be a good way to kind of like ease into like fall 2023? And it popped into my head. Hey, I should cover Shadow Hearts. Now, in thinking that, it also unlocked like a whole bunch of other shit. Like I started to think, wait, like, should I cover the whole series? Because technically there's four games in the series. And then I was like, wait, should I do a whole episode about horror RPGs? Because that's kind of an interesting topic that has a bunch of weird little inroads to follow and things to talk about. And then I was like, no, you know what? Let me just pump the brakes here and just sit down and play Shadow Hearts. Shadow Hearts was a 2001 very offbeat RPG for the PlayStation 2. It was developed by a company called Sacknoth who were well known for being ex-Square employees who basically left so they could make stuff that was weirder than Squaresoft would let them make. Shadow Hearts is actually the second game in a series, although the way that it's usually phrased online is kind of confusing. It's like the first game is a prequel, and then there's three games that all bear the Shadow Hearts moniker. Interpret that however you will. The first game in the series is called Kudelka, which was a 1991 game on the PS1. Kudelka is kind of a sleeper hit amongst horror fans mostly because it has really great atmosphere and visuals but it's also a very very weird game it's like a hybrid rpg and survival horror game but if you didn't really change anything about either genre like the big hybrid rpg survival horror game is obviously parasite eve uh but kudelka is kind of a weird unpolished take on the same idea that nonetheless has great visuals, great atmosphere. Like I said, a lot of horror fans have a lot of fondness for it. I have some fond memories attached to it. It's something that people have requested that I cover, you know, a few times throughout the years. And yeah, I still haven't done it for whatever reason. Shadow Hearts, though, was always the one that I was like the most obsessed with. I've played most of the games in this series except for the last one, but Shadow Hearts was the one I spent the most time with, the one I spent the most time playing and replaying, and definitely the one that I had the most familiarity with. Before I replayed Shadow Hearts, I remembered that like my original take on this game, you know, just based on my memories of it, was that before there was Bloodborne, There was Shadow Hearts. And I'm pretty sure that if this had ended up being just a normal episode about Shadow Hearts, that probably would have been the title. I mean, for real, there are some fucking weird similarities between Shadow Hearts and Bloodborne, like to the point where I'm like, somebody or some bodies at FromSoft were like fans of Shadow Hearts, right? Like, it just has to be. For starters, both games have a pretty similar setting. It's kind of a vaguely 1800s-ish dark fantasy setting. You know, people kind of generally dress in the same way. There's like trains and steam engines and stuff. It kind of has a little bit of a steampunk vibe, but it's more grounded in kind of a dark horror vibe and aesthetic Both games seek to mix survival horror and RPG elements, even though they do them in very different ways. And there's even some weird, little, very specific similarities between the games. Like, both games have a hub world set in a graveyard. That's like one that I found almost shocking upon replaying this game was I was like, oh my god, that's just the fucking hub world from Bloodborne. But in 2001 in the PS2 style. Both games also have an abundance of style. In Shadow Hearts, there's a really, really cool visual style that I would compare most to like something like Vagrant Story, where there's a bit of a comic book take on like a PS1 or PS2 style RPG. Um, There's just a lot of really cool style, flair, nice colors, interesting designs. I mean, nobody can complain about the aesthetics or presentation of this game because, I mean, it's basically fantastic. Now, in terms of the mechanics, I also remembered really liking this game because it made traditional JRPG mechanics a little bit more exciting. There was basically like an action element where you had to hit buttons at certain times to like, do more damage with your attacks and yeah i remember really liking it there's also like a weird you know thing you can do with your main character transforming it was just an interesting take on a jrpg like it had all these mechanics that made things a little bit more visceral and a little bit more exciting i remember really really liking this game having played it many times throughout middle school high school however the fuck old i was when it came out, and yeah, I just had a lot of fondness for this game. So, in prep for this episode, I booted this game up and started playing it. The first thing that happens in this game is that you watch one of the most bizarre and unhinged series of cutscenes that you will ever see in a video game. I mean, for real, like, go watch the intro to this game, it's like The most fucked up anime ever. It's so weird and over the top. And I was kind of taken aback, but then I also remembered, I was like, oh yeah, this game is really weird and funny and campy. And okay, yeah, I'm I'm into that. Let's fucking go. And then I started, you know, getting a little bit further into the game, past the intro. And once again, I was remembering all these things. You know, I was like, oh yeah, there's all these. Bloodborne similarities, there's all this cool stuff going on. I was remembering how good the presentation is in this game, as I mentioned earlier, not just the visuals, but also the sound. I mean, this game has such good music. There's a lot of great like atmospheric Silent Hill-esque music. And, you know, the way that the, the game is generally presented, it really does blur the lines between a JRPG and a survival horror game. And I think that's really, really cool. However, the longer I played Shadow Hearts, something started to dawn on me. And it was something really uncomfortable. And that was this. I really do not enjoy playing the game Shadow Hearts. <laughs> not at all. Not Even a little bit. I think that playing Shadow Hearts is some of the least fun I've had playing a video game in like the last few years. Now, some important context here. When I was a kid, I was obsessed with JRPGs. My friend Bobby showed me them in the fourth grade when I went over to his house and I played Chrono Trigger. It absolutely rewired my brain. I was already a really big fan of action RPG games like the Zelda series and anything that was remotely Zelda ish, but playing like a real dyed in the wool RPG made me just absolutely want to dunk my head into the genre as hard and deep as I possibly could. And that's what I did. I think throughout, especially middle school, but even into high school, I must have played like every widely released japanese rpg i love the genre i love the style even the mediocre or crappy ones were fun to play for a dozen hours even if you never finished them i mean i loved these games i'll also say this i never got into any other kind of rpg none of the like Western CRPG stuff, not tabletop games. I mean, I've at least tried most of this stuff probably when I was in high school, and none of it was even like remotely interesting to me besides JRPGs. So, like, when I say I was a JRPG fanatic, I really mean it. And to this day, it's still like my entire frame of reference for RPGs. Throughout the PS2 era, though, something funny started to happen. Totally traditional old school JRPGs started to become more and more rare while you know big popular action adventure games started to incorporate more and more ideas and mechanics from JRPGs. This peaked in the seventh gen when traditional JRPGs more or less died and the modern action adventure games that have you know, oodles and oodles of JRPG elements baked into them were solidified as a genre. And that's the genre that we've talked about a lot on this show, the kind of modern map game, big budget action adventure, whatever the fuck. I even had a term for it and I totally forgot it. And it's not in my notes, so whatever. You know what I'm talking about, though. It seemed that over that time, general tastes had moved away from that old school RPG style. And personally, I was no exception. The first time I got my hands on games that had a little bit of that JRPG slash open world feel, but didn't make you do things like turn based battles and grinding or any of that, like kind of old school time wastery stuff, I loved it. I'm not sure exactly which was the first game I played that I might consider to be in that style, but it might be the original Yakuza. And like, That was why I fell so in love with that game. I love that feeling of freedom and openness, but without having to put up with all the old school time wastery JRPG bullshit. In the years since, I've found that I basically completely lost my taste for this style of game. And I don't mean that as an insult to the style or to say that JRPGs are bad or anything like that, but... Since I've gotten to play games that sort of give you that same feeling, but are more viscerally fun and satisfying in a tactile way to play, I've had almost no enticement to return to JRPGs. I've got my few big ones that I like to replay every once in a while, like Chrono Trigger being the main one, but Final Fantasy VII being a close second. I even recently started a playthrough of Chrono Cross, and yeah, I find that really enjoyable as well. It's a super interesting and unique take on the JRPG experience, and it's just like an audiovisual and aesthetic treat. So, you know, I'm not totally against the genre or I think it's bad or anything. It's just sort of become a thing that's kind of not for me, and I think that that's actually a lot more common than many people are willing to admit. JRPGs were definitely a game style that feel very of a certain time, you know? Like they had a good run for sure throughout the 90s and the first half of the 2000s, but definitely feels like in a lot of ways in terms of design and aesthetics and even writing, we've just kind of moved on from that style. Now bring that up as a point of context because I think that means I'm either like the best person to do an episode dissecting horror RPGs or something like Shadow Hearts, or I'm the worst. And I'm not sure which is true, but I do know this. Returning to Shadow Hearts and playing it was painful. I mean, like I said, there's things about this game that I like and that I can appreciate, but there's also things about it that I just absolutely cannot stand. The goopy anime stuff in this game is really fucking bad. And it's not just the over the top tone of a lot of the cutscenes. It's also just the writing and the dialogue, which is a huge part of this game. It's an old school JRPG in many ways. So, you know, you're going to be reading a lot of dialogue. And let's just say that your protagonist is more or less introduced as a guy who just keeps trying to grope a woman he just met in her sleep. Like, over and over and over and it's just like dude what (laughs) even for an old school jrpg it's like harsh and over the top this isn't the only problem with the game though far from it on a mechanical level this game has problems let's start with the game's big gimmick in the battle system which is the judgment ring So I alluded to this earlier, but basically whenever you want to do an action, any action, not just an attack, I mean like using a spell, using an item, whatever, this little ring pops up on screen and a needle spins around it. And as it goes into different color areas, you need to press the X button in order to basically complete a little QTE. If you do a good job, you will get better results from the action that you've chosen to do. So I already called it a QTE, and that's more or less the beginning and end of the criticism here. I mean, at the time it was novel. It's kind of a neat idea, but it really is just like an annoying and bad QTE. You can also insta-fail. So like usually the needle spins around and there'll be like three green sections of it that you need to hit. Each one has like a little tiny critical hit sliver that you can go for. But if you miss your first one, you're just out. It just like cancels your action and you get like the worst outcome. This is fucking awful. Like what? Oh my God. It's kind of like mind meltingly stupid. I mean, it basically makes you do a QTE anytime you want to do anything like, oh, you want to use a health item? QTE. You want to punch a guy? QTE. It doesn't even end once you get out of battle. As you're exploring, like if you want to use a switch, you might have to do a QTE. That judgment ring popping up after a few hours of playing this game is going to like start giving you PTSD. It is truly, truly awful. It makes the whole game feel like a slog. And speaking of that, this game also has a massive, massive structural problem. And that's that they couldn't really get the RPG elements to square with the survival horror elements. So like, for example, let's say you're exploring an environment. It's really cool. It's dark and foreboding. There's some really neat, like Yamaoka-esque music playing in the background. You're like, oh, cool. I'm into this. But you take 10 steps and a random encounter starts up. You're sucked into an RPG battle, do a bunch of QTEs, kill the guys, come out of it. And then you're like, okay. Back to it. Back to exploring. You do a little bit more wandering around. Ten more steps. Bam. Another random encounter. Do you see what I'm getting at here? This game has like the biggest and most common problem in old school JRPGs, which is like a super high random encounter rate. And it absolutely kills any sort of vibe, atmosphere, or tension that this game is going for. This seemed like such an obvious problem to me that I kind of started to wonder, hey, is the previous game in the series also inflicted with this massive structural problem? And turns out, yes, yes it is. Uh, so while trying to salvage this like Shadow Hearts episode, I was like, well, maybe it's a Kudelka episode. So I went and played some Kudelka and God damn it, it's the same fucking thing. Now, to its credit. Kudelka is a much better game in terms of its tone, atmosphere, and writing. It's much more consistent. It plays it a lot straighter than Shadow Hearts, so you don't have more of the like bad, cringy slash problematic attempts at comedy. It's just much more of a straightforward like horror RPG tone and style. The game is also set in one single location, and it has like way darker and more foreboding of an atmosphere. All of those things are very, very cool, but once again, the vibe and the pacing in this game are absolutely destroyed by the RPG elements. I think the fact that those random battles pop up so much really just kills any momentum this game may have been able to build as a horror game. It just completely sucks out any tension that the game was even maybe going to build like, you know that you're never going to have like a really visceral moment. And on the flip side, you also can't really fully sink into the atmosphere of the game in the way that you can in like, you know, Silent Hill 2, for example. It neither lets you like relax in the environment or keeps you on your toes. And it basically just ends up being kind of a boring slog. My final verdict on like Kudelka and Shadow Hearts is probably about the same, which is that like they're both very interesting games. I think that people who are big fans of horror games and JRPGs might have some fun checking these games out, but neither one of them is a masterpiece. Neither one of them is life changing and neither one of them has some sort of like deep, rich, or meaningful experience to give the player and yet if you jump online you can find a lot of people telling you that these games are in fact deep rich experiences must plays for fans of horror or jrpgs and i just don't see it and i don't agree at all this to me is kind of like a new low for the nostalgia problem, which is something that I've talked about before on this show. It feels like people are just willing to buy into anything if it's old and fits their conception of like a cool 90s or 2000s video game. And like that doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But to me, as someone who analyzes horror games and who makes content about them, it's a bummer because I think that it kind of misdirects people and deprives them of actual really really cool and good experiences within the horror genre like there are really great games there are games that are beautiful and meaningful and memorable that you can play in the genre that people are just skipping or ignoring because they're just going down these like nostalgia memory holes and just fucking around with games that aren't actually that good. Like one thing I've always said whenever we have these conversations about memory and nostalgia is that there are plenty of games that use ideas and elements from old games that aren't just nostalgic or aren't just nostalgia bait. Like my favorite examples being, you know, Lone Survivor, which looks like a Super Nintendo game, but is actually a really, really sophisticated take on a survival horror type of game. Or you can look at Hyper Light Drifter, which initially appears to be kind of just like a Zelda ripoff, but is once again a very, very mechanically deep game set in an incredibly rich and beautiful world. It's like a singular experience in gaming. Even last episode, we were talking about Decarnation, which is a game that once again looks like a Super Nintendo game, but is actually like a really, really rich, deep and unique storytelling experience that I think like everyone should experience because it's great. Even going back to older video games, there are so many old games that still hold up because they're really well designed and they contain a lot of great ideas and great execution. Like going back and playing those first few Resident Evil games or Silent Hill games, it's always still a lot of fun because those games are incredibly well made. Even looking specifically at JRPGs, I've been having so much fun replaying Chrono Cross because Chrono Cross is just a fascinating game, like truly an exemplary late era JRPG where they were trying to subvert everything people expected from a JRPG. They were trying to like really change all the distinct elements that made something a JRPG, and they actually managed to do it like The battle system in that game is so fucking weird, but once you get your head around it, it's actually quite intuitive and easy to use, and it makes the fights in the game so fun and challenging. Like, It adds this huge layer of strategy. It almost feels more like you're playing Magic the Gathering than something vaguely based on Final Fantasy. It was really impressive to me, especially after playing Shadow Hearts, which like the only thing that they really added to an old school. JRPG battle system is QTEs, and QTEs are the work of the devil. We don't like them. (laughs) Even just looking at the tiny tiny minuscule micro genre of horror RPGs or games that tried to mix RPG elements and horror elements There are some fascinating games I think hold up a lot better than anything in the Shadow Heart series, for example, simply because they're filled with really good and really interesting design choices. One that's been coming up a lot recently is the game Baroque, and this is something I might cover more in the future because I'm actually really interested in this game. Baroque was a Japanese exclusive PS1 game that was actually remade on the PS2 and Wii. Both of the remakes were released in North America in English. I remember playing this on the PS2 and then later trying the Wii version as well, but only recently was the Japanese exclusive PS1 version fully translated and released as basically a ROM hack. This PS1 version is really, really cool. I mean, the remakes are fun games. I remember at the time being really interested in them because they were basically like third person horror dungeon crawlers, which like, I mean, if you had a Wii, like you had to try anything that was like that, like that sounds cool as shit. And also kind of vaguely sounds like another game on the Wii that I really need to cover at some point. Fuck, now I'm thinking about it. Fragile Dreams. Anyone? Does that mean anything to anyone? Yes? No? Maybe? Well, anyway. The point is that the PS1 original is actually kind of a massive departure from the remakes. The remakes had this third person kind of slightly cutesy anime-esque style to them. It made him feel more like Devil May Cry, which I think was intentional. However, the original is in first person. It has a really harsh audio visual style and a really dark and disturbing aesthetic. I mean, The game is just incredibly foreboding. The text in the game, the sound design, everything comes together to make a game that playing it now is not just a great experience, it's also fascinating because it feels very, very forward-thinking. The fact that the game is in first person, has this immersive sound design and crazy story, it feels like something someone would make now and put on itch.io rather than a game that's like over 20 years old or some shit. That's the kind of retro gaming experience that I think is really worth talking about and really worth lauding because it's a game that was incredibly well designed that ended up being very forward thinking and I think has a lot to offer modern players. Another great example would be Echo Knight or any of the games in the Echo Knight series, but especially one and three, because I think those are the best. Those are games that kind of accidentally (laughs) predicted the future of horror games and if modern players go and experience them they're really in for a treat like yes the retro style and visuals in the first two games are really fucking cool but the actual meat of the game here is the fact that it's a really well designed gameplay and storytelling experience that anyone can appreciate regardless of their age or experience with video games or any of that. To me, that's the kind of thing that deserves a really flowery and effusive essay. Now you might be asking, well, what about all the fucking mid-games of the universe? And like, yeah, they're fine. They're cool. I think they're worth a mention. I mean, I think they're worth talking about. But I feel like we're falling into this trap where we're giving in to this tendency to like over dramatize everything and to inflate everything like we take some mid PS1 or PS2 game that we kind of liked when we were younger and we just turn it into some lost gem hidden masterpiece that everyone has to go check out I'm not into that and this is as someone who is admittedly a massive fan of like new games journalism, where people would be like, "This essay is about Mario," and then like talk about their divorce. Like I think that's just cool, but overinflating stuff that's like not that great in order to get people to click on your shit. I don't know. I think it's whack. And once again, I think it's just directing people away from all of the good meaningful experiences they could have in the video games medium. Over the last couple years of doing this show, I've tried really hard to like make it more positive and make it more about what I want to see and what I think people should check out in the world of video games and specifically horror video games. But I guess I wanted to talk about this not just because I tried to make an episode about a game and failed, but also because I think this is a problem within this space right now. And like the end result of it, once again, is it that serious? Maybe not, but it is going to lead to people getting burnt out with the genre and the style and moving away from it because they feel like there isn't anything that good there. If everything that's put in front of them is a game that's only fun to watch as a YouTube playthrough or just like not very good in any format, people are going to get tired of it and people are going to move away from it, which is something that I kind of fear because I remember when this genre basically didn't exist. Like, I remember when it kind of died out in the seventh gen and we had to wait a few years for it to come back. I don't think that's going to happen again, but at the same time, you know, it would be very easy for it to hit a creative lull and for us to like only get new stuff that's basically streamer bait or YouTube bait. And personally, I would really hate that. And I think that would be really, really sad. So yeah, this spooky season, I'm going to try and only cover stuff that I think is really great and recommend really cool stuff for you guys to check out because I think it's important and I think that if you love this genre as much as I do and you love these games as much as I do then you want to keep that enthusiasm alive and you want to just you know experience cool things while you are able to so I'm going to try and do that even today if there's a takeaway from this episode of something you should check out. I would go check out Baroque. The PS1 version that recently got translated is really, really cool. I highly recommend that. If you're looking for games that mix JRPG and horror, obviously you could go back to the start with Sweet Home. You could check out Parasite Eve, obviously, which we're going to talk about soon. Or you could even check out Omori, which I covered in a previous episode and which I think is a really great crossover between that kind of niche super sad RPG genre and more traditional horror. I mean there's a big dose of like creepy pasta internet horror type shit in there and it's actually really good. So yeah, as the weather gets colder and the leaves start falling off the trees, um please just remember to play some fun horror games and uh Don't force yourself to like anything just because a guy on YouTube told you to. Or on a podcast. I mean, we're idiots too. Just as bad.